Good morning. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus is always the most important question for those who say they are Christians. These texts begin to show us the answers. St. Paul's letter to the church in Colossus, now in Christ dwells the whole fullness of divinity bodily. And you all have in Christ come to fullness, Christ Jesus, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Now, that sounds kind of public, even political, doesn't it? Not just personal savior here, but maybe something more. When you were buried with Christ in baptism, you were also raised with Christ, the faith and the power of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. God brought you to life, Christ forgiving us all our trespasses. Then the gospel from John, I find very interesting in this day that we're in. Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, woman or man, come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from their belly shall flow rivers of living water. That sounds pretty good. When the crowd heard these words, though, it's interesting, they broke into an argument. <laughs> this is truly a prophet, some said. Others, well, this is the Messiah. Some said, yeah, but where does he come from and all of that? There was division, it says, in the crowd because of him. They had an argument about Jesus. That's what we're having today in this country, an argument about Jesus. Who he is? What does that mean? What's he saying to us? What's he calling us to do? That is the most important question for those of us who say we are Christians. With the rise of an old idea, an old ideology, an old heresy, I would say, but a new term called white Christian nationalism, people are confused when the word Christian comes up. Wait a minute, what, what does this mean, this word Christian? In particular, I want to say this morning, I hear that question coming from black Christians, black clergy, all the time. Every week I hear it. What do these white Christians think Christian means? These white Christian nationalists, so-called, are changing the meaning. People in America don't know anymore what Christian means. And our black brothers and sisters in Christ are asking, when are these white Christians going to stand up 
and speak out, they ask, and make the meaning of the word Christian clear. Their question comes to most of us, most of us here in this church. What does it mean? Now, you hear a lot about this phrase now, more and more, white Christian nationalism. It's a big political partisan debate. But I want to suggest this morning that the problem of white Christian nationalism is not a political problem. It's a Christological problem, much deeper than politics. The nation's very confused. Who will come to clarify what Christian means? I want to uh, lift up a wonderful book. Kristen uh, Kobes Dumas writes, Jesus and John Wayne. Take a look at it. White, how white Christians corrupted a faith and fractured a nation. Jesus and John Wayne. She says this, when Christians define themselves in terms of Christ's atonement or as disciples of a risen Christ, what sort of Jesus are they imagining? Is their savior a conquering warrior? A man's man who takes no prisoners and wages holy war? Or is he a sacrificial lamb who offers himself up for the restoration of all things? How one answers these questions will determine what it's like to follow Jesus. I'm at Georgetown University now, and we had a forum the other night on all of this. What is this thing, and how is it a threat? I said, I think white Christian nationalism is literally the greatest threat to democracy in America. We had Sam Perry on the panel, author of Flag and the Cross. I'm mentioning books today for you to read for further reading. Read that one, too. Amanda Tyler, who's a wonderful uh, faith advocate from the Baptist Joint Committee, and Bishop Michael Curry, who we're going to pray for in the service soon. How do we sort this out? Bishop Curry kept saying, text, text, text. Go to the text. He said, my church, Episcopal Church, we have Republicans and independents and Democrats. We differ politically, but we all got to go to the text. What did Jesus say? What did, he, what did he do? No matter what our party, what did he say? And I will add the question, do we believe it or not? That's the question for those who aspire to white Christian nationalism. Do we believe the text or not? 
The way forward, in my view, is not just political bantering or ideological warfare, but going to the texts and asking whether we believe them or not. So instead of partisan warfare, let's go to, I think, some fundamental moral imperatives represented by core biblical texts that capture the pivotal points today for how we should respond. I'm not going to exegete them all. There isn't time. In the Black Baptist Church, I might go for two hours, but not in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> I'm just going to name them, as you might say, for further study. Our beliefs will continue to be tested in politically violent conflicts, but they're based in these iconic passages from the scriptures that can serve as our guiding questions, principles for a movement that we need, and we've talked about today, that persuades the persuadable, those who are just caught up in this and haven't thought about it. You've got to persuade the persuadable, but also defeats, defeats those who insist on perpetuating an exclusionary, discriminatory and violent agenda. Every movement that's successful has to decide who is persuadable, who you can reach out to, you can bring around, and who you must defeat. Let's go to the text. I hail from a deeply informed, I'm deeply informed by the Christian tradition, but these texts from the Hebrew Bible and Christian New Testament have at their core a mission and message that's in keeping with the best in all of our faith traditions. Start with Genesis 1.26, first book of the Bible, first chapter. And as theologically educated Episcopalians, you understand, Jesus was present in God at the creation. Imagine all the noise out there about all this stuff. You'll hear it on the news today, right? All the noise, all the conflict and yelling and screaming and partisan babble. In the middle of all the noise, I love the beginning of this text. It starts with, then God said, shut up with the noise. Then God said, let us make humankind in our own image, according to our own likeness. It means all of us. Let's make all of the humankind, all of them, into our own image, our own likeness. So will we dehumanize those who are not like us? Or will we embrace the image of God, imago Dei, in the created equal humanity of all people, no exceptions, period, all humankind. Will we understand, for example, that one act of voter suppression based on skin color is literally an assault on Imago Dei, assault on the image of God? And are we, as Christians, are we the Imago Dei movement? or not? Do we believe it or not? 
Matthew 22, you, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this came from, read the parable of the Good Samaritan. This came from a question asked of Jesus by, by, by a lawyer. He's, he laid this out and the lawyer said, okay, who is my neighbor? Now from that tone of voice, I think this was a Washington lawyer. That's like, who is my neighbor? How can I welcome them in? No, it's like, exactly who is my neighbor here? What are the boundaries? Who do I got to let in here, right? The lawyer's question of Jesus, who is my neighbor, is the most important question right now for democracy in America. Who is my neighbor? Will we despise those who are different or who differ from us politically as our enemies or treat them like neighbors? John Meacham, the great historian, keeps saying on all the stations he can say it on, well, for democracy, the key question is, do we treat our adversaries as neighbors or enemies? He says it all the time now. Because on that, democracy rises or falls. This double love, commitment in all of our Abrahamic religious traditions to love God and love your neighbor, including those neighbors who don't live in your neighborhood. That's what the Good Samaritan parable is all about. He asks the question, and Jesus picks as an example. A Samaritan. Now, Judeans didn't think there were any good Samaritans. They're a mixed race. Stay away, they're trouble. He picks an other as his example when the other is helping an other to him. Somebody beaten by the road. The other picks up the other and takes care of him. That means your neighbor probably doesn't live in your neighborhood. This will be the test, this question, of both faith and democracy in our time. But do we believe it or not? John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It'll make you free. When I grew up, their version of this was, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you right. And all you have got to come in and be right like we are. That's the truth. He doesn't say that. And he connects truth with freedom here. You know the truth, the truth will make you free. Meaning, if you don't know the truth, you are captive. You don't have any freedom. Will we be faithless and held captive by deliberate and destructive disinformation or loyal to the lies of the false prophets of our day, or will we, be, will we be faithful to the truth that Jesus says can only make us free, or will we be left morally and politically captive? Do we believe it or not? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they should be called the children of God. Let me paraphrase that. He doesn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. That's easy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Will we accept the escalation of violence, which now defines politics as recently as Friday morning, with an attack on Paul Pelosi in he and Nancy's home with his hammer hitting the attacker yelled, he was looking for Nancy. Let me say for politicians that just say they're against violence and wish him well in his healing, it's not enough. How about being against the talk that leads to violence? Jesus says those who pursue peace as our literal vocation, as peacemakers, meaning conflict resolvers. <laughs> Jesus said they'll be called the children of God. That's a pretty special designation. In the Sermon on the Mount, the only designation for all of those beatitudes about being children of God is this one. Interesting. But do we believe it? Why not? Matthew 25, 31 to 46, my conversion text for me and for many, this brought me to Christ. I'll paraphrase, I was hungry. I call it, it was the it was me text. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was a stranger. By the word, the word stranger there means immigrant. That's what the word means. I was sick, I was in prison. It was me. Just as you did it or did it not to one of the least of these, you did it or did it not to me. That's what the text says. So will we care for the marginalized, the vulnerable, or will we ignore them? These are the politics of Jesus. What are our politics? Jesus says how we treat the least of these is how we treat him. And that'll be a test of our discipleship. He's kind of saying, I'll know how much you love me by how you treat them. These politics of Jesus turn our politics literally upside down. But do we believe it? or not. Then there's Galatians 3.28. We love to quote this one. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ. It's a powerful word. We should quote this a lot. Will we seek the unity and diversity of the kingdom of God? Or will we reinforce the social barriers of race religion, gender, tribalism, as white Christian nationalism does every day. I've learned this Galatians passage was used as a primary text at all the early baptisms in the early church. They use this text, I'm learning all the time. This text from Galatians, 
In fact, I hear that this was really an early creed, <laughs> and some think the first creed of the church. Interesting scholarship. What that means is here are these followers of Jesus, this itinerant rabbi, they're saying, well, we're the body of Christ, and, and um, what we do is overcome divisions and barriers. We don't do it perfectly, but that's what we do. We overcome that race, class, gender. We overcome those things. And so we're telling that, you that now, so remember, baptism is public, right? Out in public. So we're publicly saying, that's what we do. We overcome these barriers. And they're kind of saying, if you don't want to do that, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. What if the American church was saying today, we in the church, who we are, we overcome barriers of race and class and gender. If you don't want to do that, go somewhere else. America isn't hearing that from us in the churches. It'll be the building of new relationships across boundaries that will become the foundation for a multiracial, multiracial democracy in the common good. So I'm saying this morning that this political battle is deeper. Don't go left, don't go right, go deeper. The challenge of white Christian nationalism. Will we go deeper? Go to the text and show that we believe what Jesus is saying to us. Only time will tell whether white American Christians believe it or not. Can I get an amen? Thank you.